Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the May uh, 26, 2021 QPSC. We will start off with roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Dong has an excused absence. Trustee Jensen. My mic, I'm here. Trustee Splendoria. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, uh, Madam Clerk, is there any public comment on non-agenda items or on agenda items uh, during this uh, the course of this meeting? We have no public comment. Wonderful. So as we go, uh, about to go into item A, uh, our standard work is to remind ourselves about the purpose of the QPSC. Uh, the QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. Um, uh, that's been the charter which has been in place for a while. I, I'll remind everyone at the last, um, this, uh, Every every, we have a new board. Uh, we always have an opportunity to remake ourselves. Uh, I've given it as a charge to every committee chair to consider their charter and what adaptations will be made. And of course, we should have that discussion in concert with our, with our senior leadership. It's a pretty good charter, but we can always fine tune things. And uh, uh, let's uh, keep that uh, on our to-do list. Uh, and I'll, I'm wel welcome to receive any ideas on uh, how our charter exists. So with that, um, we close our charter and we'll go into item A, uh, the chair's report. As everyone knows, we always start off with an article. The article included today was how gratitude can reduce burnout in healthcare. Um, and, um, you know, one might argue a little bit hokey, but I think it's, I think this is important stuff for us. Uh, in, in one of the opening statements of, of this article was today more than ever, more and more healthcare organizations are finding that a culture of thankfulness is good for their staff and their patients. Um, you know, is a relatively short read. I know that there are many elements within our organization which show thankfulness. Um, uh, I, I know that Catherine Horner uh, always starts off uh, her ambulatory reports with thankfulness. I know in our meetings, our, our so-called smile huddle meetings, we, we, give, we end with uh, discussions of encouragement. I was recently involved in an email chain with Trustee Esteen out of the emergency department. Um, one of their administrators is looking for ways to, to show thankfulness and appreciation for, for, for their people. I, I, I think this is remarkably good stuff and not to belabor the point, but there are some, if you will, guiding tips, which I think uh, uh, for, for leaders in the organization, it's our job to help set the culture. And I do think I do personally believe in thankfulness. So there are five great tips from this from this article. First, try to hardwire gratitude, and and that starts with each of us individually uh, in our respective shops. And I think many of us have hardwired gratitude. And now the question is, how do we do that as a system? Second, make it voluntary. Uh, it's very easy to stifle the principles here when you make it obligatory that you have to you know, provide uh, thankfulness and gratitude. Um, so I, I think that that's a pretty wise statement. Next is maintain authenticity. 
this should be organic. Our job uh, as leaders in this organization is to make space for it in an authentic way. I think we've all been present at, uh, at uh, opportunities for thankfulness where it felt manufactured and art artificial. Uh, so maintaining authenticity is, is I think, a, a great principle. Next is make gratitude a year-round activity, not just during the holiday season. And for those units who I see do it, they do this. And last, build a resilience toolkit. Um, yeah, we have our chief human resources officer always present. And I know that 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 this resiliency toolkit, we we around this organization, we do sometimes we you know bring in a massage truck or you know, we we offer meditation. Um, Think about how you guys, how everyone can do that uh, on on a local uh, unit, and then and then go and ask for resources because I, I I believe at the at the senior level of our of our executive team they believe in this uh, stuff as well. So I'll stop and open up for comment. I'm actually going to uh, uh, invite our chief human resources officer to make a, a brief comment on 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 what we can do to make this a best place to work. Uh, kind of place. I'll open up for trustees, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, do an action of thankfulness here for in front of everybody. Trustees, Trustee Jensen. Um, I, I appreciate this. I did read the article. I actually um, witnessed. <laughs> I, I, I was sent a video of a um, of a recent gratitude um, gratitude expression at, at one of our. Uh, colleague hospitals in Berkeley and it was um, it was somewhat spontaneous and it was it was similar to an award but basically this person's um, this person's department gathered around him when he was about to go on the elevator and really just all they all, uh, one by one just said how much they appreciated him and how um, important he was to the whole department and especially regarding the the pandemic they made simple yet effective and really heartfelt statements and it was spontaneous so i just wanted to add that i think that spontaneity can really be be important as well as these other points and that's thank part you. of the hardwiring of it yes thank you for those comments trustee jensen ms jones i'll let you slip in here and give other trustees time to ponder while they make say try and say something smart <laughs> we are currently excuse me <clears throat> we're currently looking um, to different avenues of how to reward and re recognize our employees. We've convened a subcommittee to address this um, and we're open to feedback from our leaders and from our employees about different ways we can do this. Um, we've been contemplating some rewards and recognition programs that we've had in the past along with any new ideas. So we hope to have more um, in the very near future, probably by next month. Thank you, Ms. Jones. We look forward to hearing that perhaps, uh, you know, uh, this part does relate to quality, but this is also belongs in the in the HR committee's uh, shop. So this is one of those things where we can merge the quality with 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 how our people feel. Um, trustees, any other comments? So let me. Um, I mean, we, in my organization, we've done this for years, decades, and it's mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's uh, it, I think it's one of those things where it's uh, people are, are natural at it, do it, and the people that aren't. May not ever get it, um, but um, it's good that you raised this Taft, and and, um, and it's it's simple acts, you know, just like Tracy mentioned. It's simple acts. I mean, I I tend to stop people in the hallway and 
or in front of people, but, or I send emails or, but it's, you know, there's, it's not fancy stuff. It really it, isn't. I agree with you, Splend. It doesn't have to be fancy and, um, it, it, it's culture, right? And, uh, I, I'm happy to say things for me feel different around here. And I think the culture is now ripe to receive this kind of article and, and the content behind it. And I, I, I think we have a lot of faces and, and souls and, and committed people who want to do this kind of stuff to help make us better. Um, so barring no other trustee comment, last stop, trustee esteem. I knew I'd get something from trustee esteem. <laughs> I keep it simple. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So um, uh, I'm going to do an, uh, I'm going to help hardwire. I'm going to do an act of thankfulness and, and um Today is the is the last quality meeting for our chief. Yeah, I, you knew I was going to embarrass you, Tanvir. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, uh, today is is the last uh, quality meeting for our our chief quality officer. Um, I, I will say uh, thank you, Tanvir. Our quality department is, uh, in my opinion, in the best state that it has ever been. Quality around the organization, we're still a work in progress, but the quality department. And the in the infrastructure which has been built, and the way to manage the problem sets which have come, have have been amazing. And uh, I thank you because I believe we are better because you've been a part of this organization. And um, uh, I know you have two days left in your organization. So I wish we were together. Uh, you know we don't live far apart. This is a plaque for you. Oh, sorry. I don't know. Oh, sorry. The the thing doesn't. But I'll read it. Alameda Health System honors Dr. Tanvir Hussein in recognition of your service as Chief Quality Officer for Alameda Health System. Thank you for your dedication and commitment to the mission of caring, healing, teaching, and serving all. And then a quote, quality is never an accident. It is always the result of high intention, sincere effort, intelligent direction, and skillful execution. It represents the worst choice of many alternatives for Dr. Tanvir Hussein. I'll give this to you in person later. So thank you, Tanvir. But you're not getting away. We're making you report to us a lot. Uh, You have a couple of agenda items. Um, So with that, I'm going to close out um, item A and go to item B, uh, the consent agenda. Uh, Trustees, the consent agenda is before you. Uh, before entertaining a motion to improve the entirety of the consent agenda, B1, B2, and B3, are there any items that need to be removed for discussion? I, I don't see any trustees shaking their head. I will therefore entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda in its entirety. So moved. And a second. Second. Second, uh, uh, Madam Clerk, roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Yes. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes, thank you. Thank you, we are now through item B and we will go to item C, our medical staff reports. This is the part where we get to directly interact with our medical staff leaders. I see our three medical staff leaders. I see Dr. Williams. I see Dr. Kian. I thought I saw Dr. Afzal. 
Um, let's start off with Dr. Uh, Pyun from Alameda Hospital, the Chief of Staff for Alameda Hospital. Good evening, Dr. Pyun. Thank you. Uh, thank you for letting me speak. Uh, I think you already have the uh, information about the credentials and privileges and uh, the consent agenda items. Uh, we approved those um, at our MedExec meeting at Alameda. Um, I wanted to just jump right to the key concerns. That's okay with you. Uh, Transfer process, these are actually no particular order, but transfer process is going well lately. I've not heard any major hiccups and uh, the transfer center is working as as designed. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, number the second one, sur survey readiness. And I believe there's gonna be a mock survey that I'm gonna participate in as well as key leaders of our hospital to get us ready uh, for the real thing, which will be definitely coming in the near future. And, um, you know, I've, I've also had uh, spoken to the, the hospitalists about uh, the survey readiness, uh, just giving them some tips and um, information that was given to me by uh, the administration. And I'm, I'm gonna, again, uh, with our meetings, uh, talk about that as well, continue to keep educating the doctors uh, and be, to get ready for that. Um, as far as uh, the third one, access to subspecialists, so far, cardiology and neurology going well, I, I believe. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of changes, however. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, Dr. Lowry and Dr. Deutsch, who have been with the uh, Alameda Hospital for more than 30 years and have been managing our critical care unit uh, and critical care patients are stepping down from the critical care aspect. So there will be someone, uh, Dr. Feeney's team is coming in to um, manage critical care in I believe mid-July. So that's gonna be a huge change and changeover. We're gonna uh, get involved in trying to make that transition as smooth as possible. Um, we're, you know, Dr. Lowry and Deutsch have given so many years of great service. We're hoping that uh, this transition will be smooth. Um, in addition, I just also heard nephrology also is gonna be switching over to another service as well. So a lot of, a lot of changes um, lately. So this is a pretty, uh, it can be uh, changes sometimes good, sometimes not. You know, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm hoping that it will all go well. Um, in addition, um, supporting the last one, supporting and fostering just culture. Again, we need to continue to hold people accountable for um, any perhaps bad behaviors or um, anything from just learning how to do things better. If we've done something before, examine situations or um, manage, uh, examine how, um, uh, if anything could, could have been done better uh, for a physician or a nurse or whatnot. So uh, as, as really we're having actually, um, I mean, in, in a number of meetings uh, about man, having a system where we can easily, um, let's say for example, there is a physician that had a, a behavioral issue to have that go through something called MIDAS. And then an email would go to the key people, perhaps the chief of staff and the um, uh, director of that department, or let's say the chief of surgery for the surgical department, chief of medicine for the medicine department, and just have the numbers of people, not as many, not like a giant email to go to 25, 30 people, but just a few people and through a very um, closed system that's, that's very uh, confidential. And um, it'll also be able, to, you know, be able to enter data in there about the response and you know, they'd be able to find out what the resolution was and what was done about the situation. And we're still working on that. And um, uh, we talked about that a little bit in MedExec uh, explaining that this is coming, coming our way 
so the chief uh, of the different depart departments will be uh, ready for this and will be trained on how to use the system. So uh, yeah, there's, uh, those are my chief issues that have been happening this last month. If there's any questions, please let me know. Trustees, any comments? I would, just be, I, I would just be remiss if I didn't comment and say how important Dr. Lowry, Drs. Lowry and, and Deutsch have been to the Alameda community and Alameda Hospital and as well as supporting the system. And, and so um, I'm, I'm sad that they won't be heading the, the department any longer, but I know that they'll still be participating and, and continuing to um, provide service to Alameda Hospital. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Any other comments or questions for Dr. Pian? So I guess Dr. Pian, my, it, it does sound like there's a lot of change happening. And then my question is always to myself, when we're making change, how do we measure whether we're going in the right direction or not? Do you have any opinion? Do you, can you opine on, on, on this question? How do we know if it's better or not? Um. Well, I guess you know it when you see it. I guess uh, when you're uh, asking for a consult for a critically ill patient in the ICU, and you know, you're, you're, as long as you're getting a good response and uh, you know, uh, excellent care and uh, excellent uh, coverage, that's you know, that's fine. I mean, I think I believe that that you, you'll know it as a physician, like when you're getting good a good consult. We all know when you know we get good advice or good uh, uh, you know a lot of support. So. Um, that's gonna be pretty obvious to most of us. And I believe me, I will hear it from the hospitalists. If they, they let me know if they don't think something's really up to snuff. So um, we'll be monitoring the situation for sure. I would also suggest at least in the ICU, cause I happen to know the ICU doctors pretty well, there are metrics for success. And uh, these are measured by something called the Apache data. And I know at Highland, uh, our Apache data is actually uh, shows uh, a better mortality than predicted. Um, so the, the, this is again, one of the metrics which can be used. And I'm just putting this on the forefront as we have the qual and then we have the quant. And I think, uh, having both of those are, are important as we move into, into change management. Any other comments for Dr. Pyun? Thank you, Dr. Pyun. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Afzali, how about from the San Leandro hospital leadership committee? Hi, good evening all. Um, continuing a good trend of patient uh, volume uh, at San Leandro, uh, we're trending upwards uh, for, for the later part of April and basically through, uh, through May. Um, daily average in the ED has been about 70 a day. That's about a 15% bump from uh, 2020 and a 5% bump from April. Um, and then uh, you know, our trend is at about uh, between 60 to 90 a day. Uh, as, a, as a point of reference for Highland, it was 152 a day. Um, our transfers are sitting at about 7% uh, for a higher level of care. That's about a 14% jump from April, but uh, relatively steady compared to same month last year. Um, so uh, the trends are good. The last uh, week has seen an increased uh, uh, inpatient admin volume to San Leandro as well. Um, 
the uh, subspecialty consult working group is uh, just met today. Uh, there's a two-pronged uh, approach to um, uh, consults and follow-ups with subspecialties. They include one of those being telemedicine. Uh, I have a pilot scheduled, uh, hopefully uh, for uh, mid-June, uh, which will have a dress rehearsal in the early part of June uh, beforehand. Uh, that will hopefully give us some uh, promising leads on expansion of telemedicine uh, for subspecialty care and management. Uh, there's a secondary part that uh, Dr. Williams is leading to clinic referrals uh, from ED and inpatient. Uh, I'll uh, leave that part alone in case she has to comment on it. The uh, one new topic that has come up uh, or an issue that has come up is uh, with equipment. At San Leandro, unfortunately, our uh, ultrasound machine that just passed its warranty mark, uh, the linear probe uh, stopped working. Um, so for the past week, we have not had an ultrasound machine uh, in the ED, but uh, ICU has been loaning hours and we're working on getting a replacement, hopefully soon with all the hot topics around ultrasound use and uh, line placements and such. Uh, hopefully we can get that resolved relatively quickly. Uh, outside of that, I have no significant other updates. Uh, happy to entertain any questions. Trustees, any questions for Dr. Afzali at uh, the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee? Uh, this is Kinkini. Dr. Afzali, the transfer rate that you said is the transfers in 70% from Highland. Is that is that how? Um, the transfers are at uh, seven percent of the volume that we see in a in a twenty four hour period. Uh, seven percent are transferred out of San Leandro uh, from the ED, so that they don't make it to the inpatient. Okay. Um, a majority of those are uh, to Highland, a smaller percentage to Alameda, and yet an even smaller percentage are uh, out of the system. And that is because of. Um, Acuity, or is it because of lack of coverage? That's a lack of sub, uh, specialty or subspecialty coverage that we don't have at San Leandro. Thank you. Trustees, any other questions for Dr. Afzali? Dr. Afzali, I have a question. So thank you for, uh, obviously, uh, I'm I'm uh, hopeful and optimistic about that old and, and uh, positive about uh, endos, ultrasound going out to our um, uh, community hospitals, uh, which was previously based at Highland. My question, you, you made comment about a probe dysfunction, and not that I really know anything about the probe, but my question is, do you feel like you have an understanding of the way to navigate troubleshooting the, the, these problems? And, and, and then make comment, do you feel like your staff has an understanding of ways to navigate problems? Uh, I have to say, uh, you know, the. A lot of this is is a is a learning experience for me. Uh, so no, if it was just me, I would not know. But uh, the uh, ED leadership, uh, Sherry and uh, Carrie, uh, as well as uh, uh, I have to acknowledge Glorinda and then today Janet have all stepped up in trying to make things happen. Uh, and uh, in the last two days, I've seen a lot of movement. Uh, unfortunately, because it's over the cap that. Uh, can be approved locally. Uh, it's going to have to go to cap capital expenditures uh, for approval. Um, it's just above that cutoff. Uh, 
So the, to answer your question, no, but I have support and it's been navigated on my behalf. Yeah. So so thank you thank you for your for your honesty on that because even as a leader, you're 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 admitting that maybe you don't know, and I think that's the that's the opportunity for our organization is to help us understand the processes. And so thank you for that, Adris. I really appreciate that because part of our job is to set the culture where we understand how to fix things rather than every everything is ad hoc. So I think this is a great opportunity for all of us as leaders to help clarify how things get fixed rather than calling the closest person to you. And I'm, I'm not suggesting, but you know, you know what I mean? And I think, I think that's a, a great opportunity for all of us to have clarity about how we actually manage success so I'm glad you we've had success with the ultrasound, but you're right. You know, equipment defects are going to happen. How do we regain access to resources and the like? So I think uh, thank you for bringing that point up because it clarifies a deeper point uh, uh, for for physicians and staff how we fix the problems um, uh, rather than texting our CEO for the problem. <laughs> uh, and it, our CEO actually gave out his, um, his his cell phone number to a lot of people against better advice, but he did it. <laughs> and, uh, but we want to make sure that there is a process for, for, for understanding. So thank you for telling us about that point and uh, something that we'll keep tracking. Any other comments or questions? Uh, Trustee Esteem. Just for clarification, when that process is developed, do we have the opportunity maybe to get a report out so we can be aware in case people give us questions uh, so that you know we always can point them in the right direction? Of course, I, I saw some head nodding from our COO and our CEO. So, yeah, you know, yep. trust, Trustee Bouquet. Um, yes, sir. The, the, neat, the neat thing is, um, Dr. Avzali, the, the day after that probe broke, I knew about it. And um, I'm waiting with my pen to sign off on the, the orders to buy a new one. So as soon as I get the, the info, um, we'll take care of it. Thank you, Mr. Frasky. Um, will that, will, with that, we'll close out Dr. Vasali's report. Thank you, Dr. Vasali. And we have our Chief of Staff from uh, Alameda Health System, Dr. Irina Williams. Good evening, Dr. Williams. Good evening, everyone. All right, so let me start with my report. Um, you have um, a, a longer than usual executive report now for my report because we felt like it would be helpful to include some additional details in it this time. Um, you have seen the information about privileges uh, on the report. Uh, we also had two committees report to us this month. One was the Graduate, uh, graduate Medical Education Committee and the other one was our CME, uh, Continuing Medical Education Committee. Um, uh, so we have received those reports this uh, this month. We also had two departmental reports that were quite extensive, and we included the summary of those reports in the executive report. Uh, we had our Department of Medicine and our Department of Psychiatry report to us. Um, and um, there was uh, there was quite a list of achievements and highlights from both departments that we felt would be good for the board to be aware of. A lot of um, these are related to COVID and handling COVID and the response to COVID and vaccination rollout. Um, in terms of our key concerns, uh, our um, one of the items on our list, which is not necessarily a concern, more just um, 
sort of um, desire for more um, awareness and learning is um, uh, the culture of safety report. Um, we're still going through the process that is being outlined by um, quality department in terms of um, learning how to interpret the report, uh, the report and the results, and how to distribute it to the staff. So um, this is just on our list because we're in the process of learning more and understanding the results of the survey more as the time goes, as as we follow the process outlined. Um, the second uh, item under our concerns uh, was brought up at the last MEC meeting. Um, we have discussed um, that at present it doesn't appear that we have a robust process for um, quality review of the nursing uh, staff uh, that we do have for our physicians. We have a robust QRC system. So that was brought up and uh, the members of the MedExec committee were wondering um, how we're going to approach the system-wide, if there is a plan regarding um, the quality review process for the nursing leadership. Um, and then the third concern that was mentioned by other um, uh, by Dr. Pino and Dr. Avzali is the specialty care and coverage that is especially important for our San Leandro Hospital as well as Alameda. So as it was mentioned, we currently have two sort of projects and uh, groups working on it. One is led by me in terms of um, my, my, my part of this is focused on um, streamlining the referral process from our acute care to our specialty ambulatory care. Um, we had our first meeting yesterday and um, I'm currently working on summarizing the information and outlining the next steps. And then the other group, as Dr. Avzali has mentioned, is working more on the inpatient um, and after hours specialty coverage. Um, so that concludes my report. Thank you, Dr. Williams. I'll now open it up for, to trustees for questions for Dr. Williams. Dr. Williams, has the, has the culture of safety report been published and presented to the, to the med staff? Yeah, the results, the links to the results have been distributed. Okay. Um, and it's been department specific. Okay. We have also received um, scheduling information for the sessions to learn and how to approach the results and how to present and deliberate with our staff. So those just haven't happened yet. So we're in the process of um, signing up. I mean, I, I signed up. I'm sure other leaders have signed up as well. So we're in the process of learning more how to roll this out properly to our teams. Excellent. Um, I have a question about the concern about the nursing care quality strategy. And I just wanted, I'm just wanting a little bit more of a definition of what the, the issue is, I, I, whether it's a concern or whether it's just um, asking for additional research and guidelines into that area. I guess, um, so, uh, and I myself still learning about it, um, but I guess the concern is that for our providers, uh, we have a robust system of event um, reporting as well as reviewing and discussing those events with our um, quality review committee. And then um, that reports to our medical exec committee. So we sort of have that system and the strategy. And uh, my understanding that I have just learned from the other med exec committee members is that there used to be a similar system for the nursing staff that then um, I guess 
was retired. So we were just wondering if something like that is eventually is going to be brought back or modified in a way to a somewhat yeah. similar form. Um, Trustee Jensen, maybe I can help augment what Dr. Williams is saying, but um, in its nursing um, as a profession should be governing and assessing its own practice. And um, with that, a lot of departments of nursing have a nursing peer review practice committee where they, where they review their own practice if there's an untoward event or whatever it may be. And I'd love to get that structured in our organization. Um, so um, when Dr. Williams mentioned this to me, it, it, it resonated because I know what she's speaking about and it's a place we're going to be going. Thank you, Mark. And I think this is the place that QPSC should should um, keep on our agenda for the future then. Yes, ma'am. And I wanted to thank Mr. Fratsky when I reached out to, to him and the other leaders regarding this. He was very prompt in his response and he acknowledged that this is something that um, he will be looking into and that's on his agenda as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's really good to hear. It's uh, It's been overdue. Um, I had a, a follow-up question on the specialty care and coverage piece. So does the HS, um, MEC, MEC, and the Alameda Hospital, do you all get together and kind of do this holistically sometimes? Or are you like, and I know that in the past, like having some of the San Leandro physicians be, uh, even the reps be, in the core uh, was harder because of like parking issues and all of that. Now it's Zoom, uh, but participation. So it's easier for the community doctors to be able to do that. Otherwise it would be a half day expedition for them to be coming to uh, to the site to participate in a meeting and that would, um, so how uh, are those conversations happening? Because that's something that Dr. Pion mentioned. That's something that Dr. Afzali mentioned, and you also like, is it, ha yeah, how, how are those conversations happening? It's a great question, Trustee Banerjee. So um, uh, at least for the, for the specialty group that I'm leading that is focusing to acute to outpatient care, uh, referral process and transfer, one of my goals was to make sure that we have the right representation. And now, like you said, with Zoom, it's much easier to achieve logistically. So we do have representation from all three hospitals, Alameda, San Leandro, and Highland. And we have representations from all three emergency departments and all three hospitalist groups. Thank you. That's really good to you. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustees, any other questions for Dr. Williams? Thank you, doc, all, all, all doctors. So with that, we will close out item C. Um, items, item D is the Patient Safety Regulatory Affairs and TNM dashboard. Item E is the approval of the new TNM dashboard. Both items are led by Dr. Tanbeer Hussein, our Chief Quality Officer. Dr. Hussein, um, one, of, one of my trustees um, uh, has to leave at 6.30. Um, so with your permission, I'd like to flip items E and D and first go to the proposal for the True North Dashboard metrics, if that's acceptable to you. Um, uh, just as an opener to, to the, the trustees and the audience, 
the True North Metric Dashboard or the TNM Dashboard is, if you will, the 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 the, the system dashboard uh, which is visible to the trustees and to the organization. The, there are many other sub dashboards, but these are the dashboard items which we, as an organization, hold as sort of our our system level watch metrics. And again, knowing that there are other sometimes hundreds, maybe even a thousand metrics which subsist underneath them, which 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 feed these. So uh, every year we go through a process of approving uh, metrics uh, for the respective um, committees. Uh, this is the True North metric dashboard related to quality items across um, uh, the domains of uh, access, quality, and experience. Uh, Dr. Hussein has, uh, in, uh, as always in his good work, created a primer for this, uh, which basically showed how he thought this through. Uh, and uh, he'll briefly walk us through that. And then he, he's going to make the proposal for the 10 metrics he's going to propose for this year's quality-related metrics. Is that a okay lead-in, Tanvir? That's perfect, Chair uh, Thank you very much. And actually, um, I'm going to um, invite um, our Director of Quality Analytics, um, uh, Annette Johnson, as well as our Director, Medical Director of Value-Based Care, Dr. Neha Gupta, to lead most of this discussion, as they'll be the two who are going to be uh, continuing these efforts um, after my departure. Um, I'll just highlight a couple of things before I hand it over to them. Uh, one is that uh, two years ago now, uh, QPSC under uh, Dr. Bouquet's leadership made a pivotal change to make sure that um, the quality metrics that we look at at QPSC align um, to um, an important extent with, that, with the data that we report publicly. Um, so you're going to see that theme uh, continued in this um, in fiscal 22. However, what um, both um, Annette and Neha have worked really hard on is how do we now that we have been on this journey for two years um, to create standard work and driving and uh, improving our performance around these publicly reported data. How now do we take our organization to the next step? which is really to at least hit the 50th percentile, if not higher. So you're going to hear in their presentation um, uh, how they are, one, going to draw attention to where the 50th percentile is and track our uh, performance against that um, and how they're using target setting for that. Um, and then the final thing is that in some areas, we've made significant improvement and, and, and reached nearly zero. So they're going to talk about how we might want to retire some of those as watch metrics so we can put increased focus on the areas where we really need to drive improvement to hit that 50th percentile. So with that, um, I'm going to hand it over to Annette and Neha. Thank you, Ms. Johnson, Dr. Gupta. Do you guys have screen control? We there do. Annette is in the process of sharing her screen. So I'm going to walk, you know, you all through um, the general principles that we followed in establishing our draft proposal for the True North Metric Dashboard for FY22, as well as our principles for setting targets for this coming year and in some cases the next few years. And then um, Annette will walk us through more of the detail around what the dashboard will look like and the specific metrics that we're going to be looking at or that we're proposing that we look at. Um, so as Tanvir said, the principles 
that we will be that we are using for the true north metric selection are largely the same as in previous years with a couple of key changes one is really aligning with operational priorities and trying to focus on fewer metrics to allow us to really put energy and resources into improvement on metrics where we have struggled in the past um, and retire metrics that either are not a priority for this year or are metrics where we have achieved, we have maxed out on our performance improvement possibilities. And we wanna keep those as watch metrics. Um, we, where possible, we incorporate national best practices for how we measure performance and report on healthcare quality. If that means nationally reported public metrics, then that's what we choose. Um, but sometimes they're state or even internally defined metrics. Um, and then lastly, we, we need to align with dashboards and data that we can create in Sapphire so that we have sustainable and reliable and accurate reporting. In terms of goal setting principles, we um, have a more complicated, but I think nuanced uh, strategy for how we are setting goal, goals for each um, metric. So I'll walk you through the broad principles. Principle one is that for any metric that is a publicly reported national metric, that is a metric that is part of the CMS star ratings. It contributes to our leapfrog scores. And for those metrics, we are setting our minimum threshold to the national 50th percentile so that AHS is always striving to be better than average. If we are already better than the 50th percentile, then we'll work on closing our gap to the 90th percentile so that we are constantly in a state of continuous improvement. Principle two, where metrics are not a part of national public reporting, if available, targets will be based on benchmarking from an appropriate peer group. So whether that be America's Essential Hospitals or Medicaid or some other analogous peer group, we'll use that peer group. And again, we'll target the 50th percentile in the spirit of being better than average. And if already better than average, then we'll target the 90th percentile. And then finally, if a benchmark is not available, then targets will be set at a 10% relative improvement over the previous year's baseline. So that was our general strategy for how we were going to approach this year's dashboard. So I'll hand it over to Annette who, who will walk us through some of the detailed metrics. Any questions about the principles or target setting strategy? That's an excellent document. Thank you, Dr. Gupta. So moving forward for this fiscal year, um, now that we're sort of past the peak of the pandemic for um, our access metrics for ambulatory, we're gonna move back to a more standardized access definition, which is our third next available appointment. Um, we are working on developing this report right now in EPIC. And so as soon as we have that report developed, we will provide um, results and targets moving forward using our benchmarking principles. We're going to continue um, observed to expected length of stay, but we'll also be adding in an unadjusted average length of stay as well so that we can not only see um, our ratio, but we can see what our actual length of stay is. <clears throat> Um, we will continue to do median time from decision to admit 
from ED decision to admit to inpatient bed for ED admissions. The difference here is that we're going to go with an internal definition so that we're actually measuring from the first time the decision to admit is made. And this is more in line with operations and should help with throughput, which is why we're making this change. We are proposing the removal of avoidable days because we will include this in our narrative related to the ODE length of stay. <clears throat> um, the quip metrics will continue. And again, we will have a split target as the quip, measure, the quip program year is now calendar year and, our fiscal, and, and not aligned with our fiscal year. So we'll have a 90% goal for the first two quarters of the fiscal year and a 40% goal for the last two, just to make sure that we're in alignment and hitting our targets for the quip over the calendar year and keeping you updated on our progress. Um, we will continue our, our acute care all cause 30 day readmits. Hey, come in change and we will also continue our hospital acquired infection index ratio um, as this is the harm metric that we feel we really need to highlight to continue to drive forward because we're performing so well on our hospital acquired harms index um, when i look at this uh, metric related to um, cms performance there's very little room for improvement this is a standard metric that quality will continue to watch it's not going away but i just don't think that it requires um, elevation to the tour of the metric at this time. So we're going to really try and focus in on our hospital acquired infections and really give our attention to that. And then um, we're going to remove our safety alerts um, really that resulted in harm because this is already being reported to you under the patient safety um, report that Darshan gives each month. Um, moving forward. And of course, we will continue our HCAPS and CGCAPS uh, measures moving forward. Really quickly, I wanted to highlight our um, dashboard where we simplified the dashboard a tiny bit to just a few less columns to make it a tiny bit easier to read and to give us greater opportunity to do trending so that we can not only see if we're at target, but we can see, uh, we can really start to aim for not just go, um, what our target is, but the national best 90th percentile. So when you look at the metric that you want to see going down, the change here is you will see our performance, then you will see our target based on our benchmark, um, and then you will also see what is the 90th percentile for that metric. So if it's a metric we want to go down, the 90th percentile will be below the, our target. If it's a metric that we want to see go up, like in patient experience, you will see that our target in orange um, um, with the 90th percentile above it so that we have the opportunity to not only um, hit our target, but to be aspirational and to really commit to that sense that we need to be better than average and we need to provide the same level of care as any other organization and uh, moving forward. And to help keep us honest in that regard, um, in addition, I've added to our definitions page um, the peer group that we're benchmarking ourselves against for each metric and then the 50th and 90th percentile for that peer group so that we can really drive the sense of the commitment to to excellence in our metrics moving forward, not only hitting our target, but striving to for even more improvement. Is there any questions? <laughs> Trustees, any questions or comments? This is so good. I just am um, loving the rationale behind it and why some of these are, and also the simplicity I know that some of the other ones we had year to date and all of that, just having this simpler is helpful. 
Trustee Banerjee, I would agree, and I, you know, I would give thankfulness to follow the theme to this team. The remarkable thought has gone behind doing this. And uh, Annette, if you'll go back up to the mock-up of the dashboard. I mean, it's just clean and simple. And, uh, you know, I've heard the saying, sim simplicity is the ultimate elegance. And uh, it's just, it's, I, I think this is going to be more digestible for the trustees and the audience at large. And uh, we're reducing the number of uh, uh, metrics uh, uh, along the dashboard, and you know we're along a theme of simplicity. So, in my opinion, a deep thought has gone into this, and this just makes perfect sense. And I'm appreciative. I think I think uh, I think this is going to be a good dashboard for us to look at. I'll defer to our COO and our CEO if any comments on this, and making sure that uh, these are data we can obtain or any other comments. Um, um, from our CEO or COO. Mm -hmm. I, I just concur. I, I think that, you know, there's beauty and simplicity and that this is going to be digestible and informative to the trustees and to the, our audience. And so I'm, I'm pleased. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's really thoughtful and really well done. And I think it's going to be a dynamic document as we continue to <clears throat> Um, understand what our strategic plan is and kind of where we're going and, um, you know, and, and what kind of pillars we may have in the future. I think it's a, it's a good setting for a, a document to be quite dynamic as we move forward. Yeah. So a really good job by our quality department. Agreed. And I, don't, and I want to give uh, our Associate Chief Medical Officer opportunity to comment too, uh, you know, um, an essential player here in our, our quality uh, efforts. Dr. Tornabene? Uh, just that I love the, the visual management part of the, with the run charts on the right side, being able to see that a little bit more. I really love that. So, um, barring no other comments from the trustees, actually, I'm looking for hands. I don't see any. May I entertain a motion, because this is an action item. May I entertain a motion to approve uh, the uh, the ten metrics as submitted by the quality team. So we'll respond. May I have a second? Second. Second. Go ahead. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Madam Clerk, roll call. Daddy said he was going to Del Taco. Call him. <laughs> Taco Bell Just... is better than Del Taco. Yeah. No, 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 no. Daddy called me and said he. Was <laughs> there she goes. All right. Uh, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. <laughs> Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes, and there is no way Taco Bell is better than Del Taco. Oh, no. That, that, we can't have that discussion. Taco, Taco Bell takes Del Taco down every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that, we will close item E and we'll go backwards and go to item D. Dr. Hussein, the floor is yours again. Thank you, Chair. Uh, just want to acknowledge that, that we got that done in one round. So kudos to this governing body and to um, uh, the Annette and Neha who will continue to lead this uh, work forward. So. Okay, let me go ahead and share my screen here. So, Doctor uh, Doctor Hussein, yes, Del Taco or Taco Bell? 
<laughs> uh, man, this might be the most controversial decision I make. I need data to support my decision. So let me send out a survey real quick. <laughs> All right, let me share my screen. Okay, so let me close this. We have a little better view. Okay, very good, um, trustees. So um, I'm going to try to highlight the primary or the most important components of the report because they're in the standard fashion in which um, you've received them previously. Um, so in the patient safety report, um, I just want to highlight that um, as Annette and Neha did describe, one of the reasons we're retiring the metric from the Trinus metric dashboard of the um, E to I, um, uh, the, the percentage of events that are E and greater is because it will continue to be reported in the patient safety report. And um, I want to take a moment to share that um, we've been tracking this metric, um, the number of events that reach the patient cause harm as a percentage since um, fiscal 18. Um, and since then, we have been able to um, successfully reduce that harm rate by 60%. Um, similarly, I'd like to highlight for you uh, the way in which this organization has tackled grievances. Um, so um, fiscal 19 actually represented um, the influx of the totality of our grievances from our payers. So that's really the baseline we would use of 504. Um, and over the span of the last two to three years, um, uh, this organization working collaboratively has been able to decrease our grievance rate uh, down to uh, by 45%. Um, in, um, in closed session today, we will talk about uh, one of the harms, one of the I. Um, events, and we'll get more detail about that in closed session. There was one to report to you um, uh, this last month. Um, perhaps the most important uh, component of the report today, as already mentioned by our chief of staff, is the um, culture, culture of safety survey. Um, so recall that we had about 72% um, response rate, uh, which mirrors um, the approximate uh, pro uh, response rate in 2019. Um, we have begun the period in which the results are now being disseminated uh, to the organization. Um, and the process by which that will happen is uh, there was a debrief that occurred with our executive leadership team. Um, then like, uh, facility level data are being shared in our quality safety council um, and um, in, on June 3rd and June 10th, there will actually be um, uh, training sessions led by Safe and Reliable, where um, our uh, managers, um, um, directors, VPs, CAOs, uh, physician leaders can actually participate and learn how to interpret the data so that they can accurately then um, engage in the action plan steps. So as part of the debriefing process, one is to train leaders so that they can appropriately interpret the data, but also two, um, starting in June, the quality department will actually then um, hold debriefing sessions to complement the quantitative data with qualitative feedback. So that will begin here um, after those training sessions on June 3rd and June 10th. There will be required action plans uh, that the patient safety team um, uh, will uh, collate and share with the executive leadership team and, and the board. So to give you a high level preview of the, of the culture of safety data, um, there are these are the domains that the score survey looks at. Um, improvement readiness. So at a high level, um, this is uh, the percent positive. 
And in what you will see here, if you can make it out in green, gray, or red, is the relative performance compared to 2019 when we last administered the survey. So um, net, you can see that there has not, there was not much improvement um, or deterioration in our culture of safety survey data since 2019. Um, an interesting thing that I learned while uh, attending the um, beta is our um, risk carrier um, and they, uh, all of their members use this survey. Um, beta largely includes facilities from the state of California. And what was really interesting is when you look at beta facilities, i.e. facilities in the state of California largely compared to the national performance, California on all of these domains um, uh, um, it falls under the 50th percentile of the nation. Actually, I did a quick uh, average. Um, if I were to average the national percentile, uh, the percentile for the for beta facilities, it fell at the 33 percentile. So I have generated a question to safe and reliable and beta. Can they give us a little more local context uh, compared to the national context? Because it was a fascinating sort of um, uh, discovery. But all that to say, in terms of our um, AHS performance, there has not been much net change since 2019. I'm happy to talk a little more about these domains um, in the Q&A uh, portion. Um, and you'll see more detail about the debriefing plan on this last page. So the next steps in this is that our Director of Patient Safety, Darshan Graywall, will, will be working closely with Mr. Jackson, Mr. Fratsky, um, and Dr. Jamaluddin on uh, on the rollout um, and action planning, and and this will be an item that will continue to receive attention at the executive leadership team meetings, our weekly leadership chats, where um, Mr. Jackson does a wonderful job keeping the organization abreast of the continuous rollout, and and, and certainly um, this committee. So let's move on to the regulatory affairs report. Um, a good month. Um, I think uh, Mr. Jackson, actually I know Mr. Jackson uh, and uh, Chair Bouquet mentioned that we did receive our triennial cert uh, certification uh, that we received on April 13, 2021. So just we need to con uh, kudos and continued congratulations uh, for the tremendous work there. So that um, uh, is for Highland Fan, Leander and John George. Um, there was additional survey activity in April and then actually in early May, which didn't make it to this report, but the Joint Commission also accredits the lab at Alameda. And that was a successful survey with a handful of findings. And then um, the College of American Pathologists accredits the lab at Highland, which was also a very successful survey. There are a few items that um, our uh, lab and pathology department will partner with um, nursing leaders in clinical education are related to the documentation required for transfusion, um, but otherwise it was a it was a very successful survey. So congratulations to those teams. Um, and um, as you heard from Dr. Pune, Almeda Hospital is in its joint commission window. There's already been a significant amount of readiness activity, including um, from environment of care and life safety all the way to um, a provision of care. Um, next week on June 3rd and June 4th, there will be a mock survey um, uh, where three sur uh, surveyors uh, from Joint Commission Resources, which is the consultative arm of Joint Commission, will come and do a mock um, at Alameda Hospital. So there'll be three surveyors for two days. And um, 
uh, we had an opportunity to discuss this at Quality Safety Council Alameda Hospital as well as our MEC. This is really an opportunity um, for us to engage with those consultants and ask those questions that we might be scared to ask during a real survey and, and really just get ahead. So I'm, I think this will be a great opportunity and um, and uh, the sentiments I left Alameda Hospital with remind, uh, reminded of our survey three years ago is um, Alameda Hospital really is, um, is a facility where I feel the staff and physicians take great pride in the care they deliver the community and I know that's what's going to drive excellence. Um, in response to that mock survey at Alameda Hospital. So in your packet, you'll see just a, uh, um, a preview of the agenda. Finally, from state and regulatory um, activities, we in closed session, we will describe that um, event that was reported to the state and joint commission. Finally, for our True North metric uh, dashboard, let me just skip all the way to the dashboard. Um, before you go into the wind. dashboard, um, Tambir, if, yes. if it's okay, yes, Dr. Isaac? Of, of course, of course. I just wondered, uh, my question was about why are there, uh, well, how is it that there's two different laboratory surveyors and is that something that we choose or does that have to do with um, either Medicare or, or some assignment? You know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. I don't know if the NILDA our director of regulatory affairs knows. I know that's been the historical precedent um, that our um, uh, um, um, lab and pathology department has chosen. I don't know, Nilda, if you can shed additional light on that. That's okay. You can respond to me later. I'm just curious about you know the different regulatory agencies and why one why we'd have one at one side and one at another side. I'm sure it has to do with our license, different licenses. Yeah. Oh, yes. For, certainly, there are two different licenses. I just can't speak to the reason um, why um, uh, we've chosen a cap for Highland, but I feel like Dr. Eaton might know the uh, reasons to that. So we'll certainly circle back with you on that. That's a great question. Thank you. Um, so uh, for the True North metric dashboard, um, uh, for during COVID, we were looking at access to uh, um, access to primary care, and this metric here is really about the immunization rate. Obviously, it was um, uh, it's been a challenge um, to penetrate uh, the pediatric population coming back to clinic for their immunizations. The good news is that in April, so this data only goes to March, but in April there was implementation of a large communication um, uh, tool called uh, Well. Uh, well health um, and that actually uh, was piloted around a couple of areas which has been uh, very successful so we expect this metric to pick up um, in the coming months um, and then all of the next three metrics around access as you can see significant improvement uh, after the winter surge uh, started to abate in February and then post-acute um, beds become available and uh, HD beds became available with the relief from the uh, pandemic. So much um, uh, improvement in the access metrics. Um, QIP, uh, recall that we've switched to a calendar performance, um, usually by half uh, way through the performance period, which in this case would be June, we hit the 40, we hit about 40% performance. As of March, we're already at 46% performance. So um, I am looking forward to the organization continuing on this pathway to success. 
for the last, um, uh, since the inception of the QIP program, we have hit at least 90% of, uh, of dollars from supplemental funding. And so um, uh, um, just lots of kudos to all the many components of the organization that have to hit that. Uh, readmissions um, improving. Our hospital-acquired infection index um, uh, mirrors what we are seeing nationally, um, as reported both by APEC and SHIA, which are basically the infection control and epidemiology um, organizations for the U.S. So what those organizations have identified is that during the pandemic, many of um, uh, many hospital-acquired infections like cavities and collapses that require diligence of maintenance, there might have been a breakdown in that because of in, uh, uh, perceptions of employee safety in the rooms of PUI and COVID patients. So this red that we're seeing here is an uptick in those infections among COVID patients. Um, uh, but uh, rest assured that I feel optimistic this will improve. And just to give you some um, background, this where we see our current performance is still a 66% improvement than where we were two and a half years ago. Um, Hospital-acquired infections, um, sorry, hospital-acquired harms are in the green. Um, in fiscal 21, this is a 75% uh, uh, reduction in harm since we first started tracking this in fiscal 18. I've already mentioned the success in um, harm events. Um, HCAPs, uh, we saw a decline during the pandemic, but um, it's upticking and I actually have access to data um, in April, uh, March and April and May. And I wanna share with you that that data reflects that at least Highland Hospital is now per, uh, surpassing the 50th percentile. So we wanna continue that success. Um, so uh, that ends my presentation of the report. Um, I did want to, if I might have the opportunity just to say a few words, I'm glad that uh, uh, Chair Bouquet didn't call on me earlier. I <laughs> it would have been much harder for me to say my uh, closing words, but I had to write something because it's gonna be very difficult for me to do this and I also want to be short. Um, so um, I, I can't um, identify all the people um, that I want to give thanks to. Um, so I'm not gonna even attempt to do that, but I do want to share a very personal note for what my, um, tenure at AHS has meant to me. So um, growing up, um, and some of you know this, uh, growing up, my relatives and I, uh, we availed ourselves to the county health care system in Houston, Texas. It's where my grandfather was diagnosed with end-stage renal disease and was plugged into hemodialysis. It's where my uncle passed from liver failure and my aunt received psychiatric care. Every day, that I have been at Alameda Health System, I saw each of you providing care to my family or supporting the organization that makes this care possible. And my heart filled with gratitude for the compassion and the generosity I saw and the powerful advocacy for creating a space for health and healing for every person in our community. And so I leave with utmost admiration for each of you for Alameda Health System. It has been a humble privilege to serve beside you 
every day. We have accomplished a lot in these last four years, not without its challenges, but our humility allowed us to acknowledge where we had opportunities and yet we could still be proud that when we came together around a shared mission, working hand in hand, we did grow and we became better. So march forward on this journey to continuous learning and improving. Become safer and more reliable and more just. Almeida Health System, our work is not done. It has just begun. We have grown and we have become better. And together, you, we can still accomplish so much. And so today, I leave you in celebration for what Almeida Health System embodies, its virtues, its promise, and in the most personal way possible, I am invested in this organization's longevity and success. As we say in Texas, happy trails to you until we meet again. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hussein. Um, yeah, there aren't words. Appreciation and thanks, which was the theme at, at the top. With that, we will close out Dr. Hussein's last report to this organization, item uh, D, and we will move into item F. This item uh, is, uh, if you will, homage to, to, to our dedication to quality. Uh, born out of discussion with Dr. Hussein, Dr. Tornabene, Dr. Jamaluddin. And this is our next iteration of it, uh, a standing agenda item, the Quality Improvement Project Report. I'm going to let Dr. Tornabene introduce, uh, uh, because I think this is largely her baby. And um, 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 you go, Dr. Tornabene. Thank you. Um, I have I, I am a little bit verklempt, I have to say, after Dr. Hussein's words, but um, it's on that on that note and with that emotion, I want to certainly um, introduce um, our post-acute team here, um, Richard and then Christine and Grace, who are going to be sharing the story of our COVID quarantine unit and how it came um, from really just an idea to something that was really remarkable. Um, so please, with that, uh, Richard, take it away. Great, thank you. And I think uh, council was kind enough to uh, be able to manage the slides for us. And so, uh, Ahmad, thank you for that. Uh, so good evening, trustees. Um, I wanted to thank Dr. Tornabeni for creating space um, for our poster key team to share a little bit about the COVID quarantine unit that many of you have heard about, but maybe weren't quite clear as how this came about and what it actually did. Um, so uh, I'm excited and I'm honored uh, to introduce two of our post-acute superstars, uh, Christine pelgone hers who is our licensed nursing home administrator at our Fairmont campus, and Grace Olandria, who is our director of nursing services for our Fairmont campus. And so um, they had oversight of the CQU. And so this evening, uh, we get to highlight the work they and our Fairmont team accomplished uh, that had a profound uh, positive impact uh, on our community and its residents. And so 
With that, we will be tag teaming this presentation, but I will hand that or hand this over to Christine. Next slide, please. Thank you, Richard. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Christine Belgani Hers. I'm the Fairmont Skilled Nursing Facility Administrator. Before we proceed in our presentation, please allow me to share a story. On December 2020, at the height of the pandemic in our community, a 76-year-old female was admitted at Highland Hospital because of respiratory distress. She was manifesting symptoms of congestive heart failure and was tested positive for COVID-19. She received her treatment at Highland and was medically stable enough to be discharged to a lower level of care, but not yet ready to be discharged to home with her daughter. With many of the skilled nursing facilities in the community having COVID-19 outbreak, finding a skilled nursing facility placement was not an easy task for acute care hospital discharge planners. On December 21, she was transferred to the red zone area in Fairmont's COVID quarantine unit. She continued her rehabilitation treatment and by January 3, her isolation period was completed. She was discharged safely to home to be with her daughter who is her primary care caregiver. This story is among many other stories of patients who were admitted, cared for, and were discharged from our COVID quarantine unit. As the hospitals across the country were surging from COVID-19 positive cases and patients having complications from other comorbidities, the length of stay in acute hospitals were at a high rate. The long length of stay meant tying up the hospital beds and creating overflow as there were not enough beds available for patients who were needing the acute level of care. The discharge options available for the hospital discharge planning team were stressed due to COVID-19 protocols and the outbreaks that were happening in the community. As you may all know, congregate living settings such as assisted living and skilled nursing facilities were affected tremendously because of how the infection quickly spread in the shared environment. Many skilled nursing facilities were having outbreaks and were struggling to admit patients who were COVID-19 positive or patients who were recovering from the infection and patients who were under observation. The AHS post-acute site leaders were and still are actively participating in the California Department of Health COVID-19 weekly calls. RCAO Richard Espinosa is part of the COVID task force and is involved in the Alameda County Public Health Subject Matter Expert Committee. Collectively, we knew there was a need to decompress our acute hospitals and there was a dire need to assist the community skilled nursing facilities, assisted living facilities, the medical respite care centers, and the patients who may be discharged to home but do not have the ability to self-isolate from the rest of their family members. We had to think out of the box. We knew and we felt the need to do something to help our community. This led to the birth of the COVID quarantine unit. Next slide, please. To support the community managing the patients during the COVID-19 pandemic move through the hospital system, the COVID quarantine unit or CQU would 
help decompress the acute hospitals by admitting patients who require skilled level of care that meets the COVID-19 isolation and quarantine requirements. Since infections in facilities spread easily, the Centers for Medicare and Medical, California Department of Public Health, and Alameda County Public Health required skilled nursing facilities to implement red, yellow, and green zones. The rooms in the green zones are dedicated to residents, patients who are confirmed to have no COVID-19 infection. The rooms in the yellow zone are for patients under investigation or observation because of exposure or manifestations of symptoms that are consistent with COVID-19. And the rooms in the red zone are for patients who have lab confirmed COVID-19 infection. The patients who are newly admitted to the facilities need to have a negative COVID-19 test result upon admission and another negative 19 test result on the 14th day of quarantine period in the yellow zone before we can move the patients to the green zone. The days required to quarantine the patients have created census, throughput, and sustainability issues. CQU would be able to support our local nursing, skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities by admitting the residents or patients who need to complete the quarantine and isolation period and transfer the patients back or residents back to their home facilities. Next slide, please. We were able to open CQU to support the community because of an emergency waiver that granted hospitals to temporarily reconfigure spaces needed to accommodate observed or predicted patient surge, patient cohorting, modified infection, and source control procedures, and other COVID-19 related mitigation strategies. Grace, our Director of Nursing, will share with you the next part of our presentation. Thank you, Christine. Next slide, please. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm Grace Olandria. I'm the Director of Nursing here at Fairmont Hospital. And I will be talking about uh, the details of the COVID quarantine unit or what we simply call the CQU. Um, the concept of CQU is a collaboration between the AHS with the Healthcare Services Agency, the Public Health and the CDPH. This unit was located in the H building here in the Fairmont campus. It used to be where our acute rehabilitation unit was. During the pandemic, when AHS received donations from all over, emergency supplies were stored in that building. We have to relocate those emergency supplies to prepare for the unit. Utilizing that waiver from CDPH, we were able to have 34 licensed beds to house our red and the yellow zones. In our COVID-19 mitigation plan, we have our 109 beds in the B building as our green zone and the 34 beds in the CQU are our red and yellow zones. Preparation done for this unit includes training the staff in infection prevention protocols specific to COVID-19. We also required fit testing of all our staff who will be assigned in the unit. This includes not only the nursing staff, but also the EVS, the engineering, the FNS, social services, the activities staff also. We train the nursing staff with the use of the PAPR, or what we call the powered air purifying respirators, when providing direct care to our patients in the red zone. We need to meet the CDPH requirements of no sharing of staff between the zones. 
So in that unit, we have to have a separate red and yellow zones, nursing station, a separate staff break room, supply rooms, restrooms, and even a separate entrance and exits for our staff and patients. We are helping the community skilled nursing facilities to admit directly to their green zones after the patients were tested negative and completed their quarantine. The AHS team pulled together to open and license the unit within only eight weeks. And as shown in this photo, Richard cut the ribbon when we opened the unit on October 26, 2020, together with Christine on the left side, uh, yours truly, and on the right side is Mary Ann Dato Kegel, who is the Director of Clinical Operations for the post-acute sites. And on that same day that we opened the unit, we already admitted three patients. Next slide, please. Um, implementation plan. For us to manage well the unit, we maintain close communication with CDPH, the healthcare services agency, and we have to do daily calls with the public health. Christine and I, together with Marisa Chavez, uh, the facility's infection preventionist, and Mary Ann, develop a mitigation plan following all the rules and regulations for COVID-19. And that was approved by the CDPH. Richard and the post-acute leadership, the Fairmont team and accreditation prepared the unit for licensing, utilizing the state's Title 22 regulations, federal regulations, life safety and health, the safety regulation expertise. And we also need to inform the community hospitals like Eden Hospital, St. Rose, Washington, Kaiser, Alta Bates, and our neighboring skilled nursing facilities about the unit and how it could support them with admitting their COVID positive and exposed patients. To ensure staff coverage, we interviewed and hired services as needed staff and also part of our interview, uh, you know, uh, interview questions for this SANs was their experience with taking care of COVID positive patients. We also gave more hours for our part-time staff. There is an ongoing education on infection prevention and control, the regulatory updates and the new requirements. So there is constant innovation development along the way. And of course, we passed CDPH licensing survey on our first attempt. This group of dedicated and hardworking staff from the nursing, the CNAs, uh, social services, care management team, the rehabilitation services, the physicians from the AIMS group, um, the infection prevention department, materials management, EVS, engineering, pharmacy, activity, and the STAR teams are all instrumental in the development and operation of the unit. I'll pass it over to Richard for the CQU data. Next slide, please. Great, so <clears throat> it uh, served over 263 residents. Uh, 64 of them were COVID-19 positive. So here in this slide, our yellow um, is the yellow zone and the reds are the red. So, uh, you can see they were in alignment with the uh, COVID surge that we were having in our community as well. Uh, 199 residents were quarantined. Uh, we were fortunate enough to uh, partner with HICSA, uh, who was gracious enough to see the value of this unit and uh, help with startup costs of over $318,000. Um, yeah, I like the way Grace said as usual, but they passed all of their mitigation plan surveys and infection control surveys 
with zero findings. And there were a total of about 15 surveys that occurred. So zero findings, which is incredible. Uh, this assisted our acute care hospitals from surging. And once the quarantine for the residents was complete, uh, residents were able to admit either to community boarding cares or discharge back home. Next slide, please. So I've shared this in other meetings, but we had a total of 2,571 patient days. And as you can see on uh, some of the referring hospitals we have listed here, we had 77 residents come from San Leandro, 109 from Highland, 19 from Alameda, and so forth and so on. So really um, great work from the Fairmont team and this leadership team, uh, Christine and Grace, for, for making this happen and really helping the community um, from surging. I, I will hand it back to Grace. Next slide, please. Thank you, Richard. On outcomes and learnings, on the journey we have with this unit was hard. It was challenging, but it was really worth it. The community was better served by proactively thinking out of the box and leaning on our collective expertise to prevent an issue that we saw coming. Partnering with the community resources, the leaders helped us bring an idea to fruition. Many lives were helped and saved by having the CQU, ensuring that the right level of care was given at the right time and at the right place. The census volumes of the CQU were in alignment with the surge. At the peak of the pandemic, our census grew as the surge grew. We became experts in COVID-19 positive residence care and recovery. As other skilled nursing facilities were on lockdown and cannot admit, and even others ceased to operate, I witnessed how the nurses in this unit were excited to admit and take care of COVID-positive patients. And I'm also excited to say that none of the direct care staff got the COVID, which really shows that staff followed what's in our mitigation plan. We were able to help support our community skilled nursing facilities by having a place for quarantine and discharge directly to their green zones. We also assisted our internal acute hospitals, Highland, Alameda Hospital, and the San Diego Hospital from surging by admitting 205 patients over the course of six months. Our length of stay was also in alignment with the CMS guidance for both the red zone which is approximately 10 days, and the yellow zones, which is approximately 14 days. We achieved that by ensuring that when we admit patients into that unit, we already have a discharge plan on where these patients will go after their quarantine. Other counties were even interested to know about this unit. In fact, Richard spoke with the San Francisco Public Health to share what we have created to assist San Francisco. I will again pass it over to Christine and Richard. Next slide, please. Thank you, Grace. As what um, Grace mentioned, there were a lot of partnerships. Partnership was vital in our CQU journey. The post-acute team also participated in the federal pharmacy partnership program to get our residents and patients in B building, where our green zone, as well as the patients in CKU, the red and yellow zone, who have completed their quarantine period vaccinated with a successful vaccination rollout and the decreasing COVID-19 positive cases in the community. We felt that the team has achieved what we set out to do in helping our community. 
it was time to close CQU. So I will give, um, pass you on to Richard. Great, uh, thank you. Um, and so just to add some context, 89% of our residents in the post-acute have been vaccinated. And so just a great effort amongst everyone, pharmacy, SNFs, and our community partners to make that happen. Um, you know, I, Dr. Bouquet had mentioned gratitude. And so we think and have gratitude for the California Department of Public Health for their partnership that we had developed long ago, but were able to lean on to make sure that we were able to develop a unit that was one of the only ones in the state of California, work with public health, um, who we have a strong relationship with, and, and HICSA for really seeing the value in creating such a unit. Um, and again, gratitude um, and forever indebted for the Fairmont team um, that Grace had mentioned earlier, who really made this remarkable unit a success. Um, and as multiple folks from public health, CDPH, um, CHA, had mentioned that this unit, had they created such a unit in the East Coast at the peak of the first surge, would have saved many lives. And so just huge gratitude to Grace and Christine for leading such an incredible effort with their Fairmont teams. Um, Dr. Ellis for her uh, wisdom of infection prevention and so many others. And so I just close that, you know, AHS has brave heroes working for us. I think we had teams who work with COVID positive residents um, even at the height of not really understanding how it was transmitted and they showed up every day. And so I close by just really congratulating this team um, and really the brave heroes of AHS. So thank you. And we're here if there are any questions. Thank you to all of you for presenting. Um, uh, trustees, I'll open it up for any questions to this team. What a, what a remarkable uh, demonstration of partnership and just forward thinking. So Dr. Tonavene, uh, uh, Richard, CDPH, and uh, these community uh, partnerships and your exceptional team, just um, so much gratitude. Thank you. And I'm glad that this model can, uh, you know, I hope it's disseminated the, uh, widely. So it's great that our neighboring um, counties are seeing this, but they, they should be a national model. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I actually, as a person who, as a physician that actually worked at that unit, uh, a number of shifts there, I'd say that they did an amazing job, very organized. Uh, the zones were very well done. They had these zipper kind of rooms that kept patients very, very isolated as far as respiratory wise. And, uh, you know, great equipment, really good PPE, everything was there. And again, I just very, it was very tough. Like as our group was very impacted also by the pandemic, we were also surging at the hospital we, and all the other sites and we were very busy, but we, uh, you know, people just stepped up like crazy. And we just, I, I don't remember actually having a day off. I don't think in January or February. Uh, they were just, it was just, it was really, really kind of a crazy time and I'm glad it's passed, but I have to say that, you know, the Fairmont team did an amazing job and I was very surprised and how organized and how, how well run unit looked. And Dr. Pshun, we thank you and the AIM group. You, you, your team always steps up when we ask for something and you have never, you and your team of docs have never said no to us and it's always had 
an incredible outcome on the patients that we serve. And so I thank you for that. And I thank you for supporting that. Thank you, everyone. As we, uh, Dr. Tornabeni, did you have a, oh, got it. Okay. Um, uh, again, uh, this agenda item, I think is becoming a very popular one. Um, and know at the in the packet, uh, I've asked Dr. Tornabeni to try to forecast. So coming in June, will be the, the quality improvement discussion will be substance use disorder and opiate treatment by Drs. Andrew Herring and Dr. David Tian. And forecasting for July will be uh, transfer center transformation uh, by Ryan DeGive and Bernice Perez. So we look forward to populating this list. So um, you guys know who to talk to, Dr. Tornabene, because uh, there's probably lots of these projects around the system. And let's be thankful and appreciative and celebrate uh, the successes that we do have. So with that, we will close out uh, this item. Item um, F, the quality improvement project. Um, item G is the planning calendar. The plan planning calendar is to continue as we are going. At the full board meeting, we'll be discussing, discussing our August calendar. August has typically been dark for all committees except for the quality committee because we need to approve uh, credentials, but we'll be talking about the larger calendar at the next board meeting. So. Um, with that, we will close item G, and uh, we will now be uh, moving into closed session. Uh, just uh, a couple of uh, highlights for uh, the audience. Uh, uh, I'll let our council discuss the purpose of the closed session, but we anticipate the closed session to be on the order of 15 to 20 minutes. Um, uh, uh, our only action item will probably relate to medical staff credentialing, and then we'll just come back and announce. So. No need to wait, but we're happy to see your faces if we come back. Um, for those of you um, who will be here, we'll see you again. Otherwise, everyone else have a good evening. Uh, trustees and uh, execs and quality team will be moving and, and med staff leaders will be moving into closed session. Uh, council? Thank you, Chair Bouquet. Uh, and the board will now uh, be moving into closed session to consider those items as stated in the agenda.